Have you ever asked how much how much does Christianity cost? What is it what is it going to require for you to be a Christian? Years ago, when I was in Indianapolis, I wasn't really, I guess I was a Christian, but I wouldn't have told you so. I would have said I'm kind of thinking about Christianity, I'm exploring Christianity. And um, uh, through the, the, I, the reason I had gotten that far is because I had been um, persuaded to, to give it a try by the pastor of the church, or one of the pastors, Jim, Jim Noble. And he had encouraged me to kind of find out more to, to, that I could see, see what God was doing by, by attending to his church. So I began attending on Sundays, but he encouraged uh, people to join small groups. And I was kind of thinking, well, you know, dude, I'm, I'm already giving up a Sunday morning. I, I only have two weekend mornings. Uh, that I can sleep in and do the things I want to do. And I've already given up one, and now you're asking me to give up more. You're asking me to give up my evenings as well. And I kind of thought, well, I don't know if I want to do that. But, but he was, he was very good at persuading. I mean, he eventually persuaded me to become a Christian, but, but, um, uh, he, he did persuade me, so I, so I went ahead and started doing it. But I hadn't been attending the, the small group for more than a couple of months when the, the leader, or I guess the de facto leader of the small group, Rich Phipps, he said, I think we should have a, uh, service project. And I thought, whoa, whoa, nobody told me about this. Uh, why, why are we adding more things? I'm already giving up Sunday mornings. I'm giving up now, uh, evenings a couple of times a month. And you're saying we need to do more? Uh, a service project on top of that, and I just kind of thought, you know, how much? How much does does this God want me to give? And and I don't know. Maybe maybe you felt that way. Maybe you felt that way this week when you got the letter from our stewardship committee, asking you to prayerfully consider what uh, you could do to to commit to supporting the financial needs of the church. Maybe you felt like, how much? How much do you guys want? How much does God want? Uh, maybe it wasn't the stewardship letter. Maybe it was some other occasion. You were you were uh, attending a church and you kind of started to like it. You enjoyed the worship. You enjoyed the fellowship time. You started to make a few friends. You began to feel less like a visitor and more like uh, uh, somebody who belonged in the church. And then somebody asked you to volunteer for some particular mission program or, or ministry of the church. And you kind of thought, wait a minute, how much? How much are they going to want from me? Or maybe it was that dreaded phone call, you know, the phone call from the nominating committee that says, hey, we don't want to give you, we don't want you to give up uh, a, a weekend every so often. We want you to give up uh, three years and become a, um, uh, a leader in the church. We want you to consider whether God might be calling you to serve the church that way. And so maybe you've kind of had that same feeling. Now, how much is this going to cost? I wish there was just like a posted price list somewhere that, that someplace it would just kind of tell me what is the schedule of fees associated with Christianity. And that's... Um, that's kind of intrinsic to Christianity. Uh, 2,000 years ago, Judaism had that posted posted price list, and probably so did uh, most of the religions of the the ancient Roman world. They would have said, "Here's what it costs." In the case of Judaism, they had they had the requirements. One of them was that you be uh, uh, born to a family that is a descendant of. Abraham. So first of all, you just had to have the genetic uh, connection. But then beyond that, there was a long list of things you had to do. You know, obey this, don't obey that. There's 613 commands, and you had to obey them all. And and a number of them had to do with your obligations in in what collectively I would just call the the tithing system. So uh, the tithes are actually complicated. If you ever tried to wade through the book of Leviticus and actually figure out things, it's, it's pretty complicated, but it's listed. You can actually untangle it and figure out exactly what it costs. And, and for, 
for purposes of conversation, we could say it's it's you you gave ten percent of what you made to to the church, or not not the church per se, but to the temple system, to the to the religious upkeep of the people of God. So that was kind of the way people understood understood the church and uh, or, or understood the costs of being a member of God's people. That was just kind of part of the territory, and it was posted, and everybody knew what what the 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 schedule was. <clears throat> there was extra things if, if you had um, if you had children or if you had uh, 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 you're you're a farmer and you had you know baby goats or something. There were other other rules. You had to make offerings and sacrifices based on different circumstances of your life. But but collectively that whole system, the tithes plus the attendant um, sacrifices, was was understood and. That was the system that Jesus spoke into when he told about the widow. He was, he was at the temple. He was at the temple and people were bringing those tithes and offerings to the temple. And of course, back in those days, they didn't have paper money. So people are bringing, you know, clink, you know, money that, that clinks when you drop it in the box. And so he's watching. Some people are pouring a lot in because that's, that's their, their tithe. Other people are pouring, uh, um, less in because they have less, but they're all paying the same tithe. And then Jesus notices a widow woman, a poor widow, and um, he says she gave more than all the rest. And, you know, the, the disciples are saying, but there was only two coins. And the reason, Jesus says, is not because the amount was bigger, but because she gave everything she had. So Jesus completely undid everybody's expectations about a, a, a system uh, a tithing system that the system that they had grown up understanding they they were they were all set to one side by jesus and and he says that it's not as simple as the schedule that you're used to and that's what paul writes uh, to explain he's he's talking about the implications he's teaching this new community of christians what is different about the the movement that jesus began the movement of christians um, how it's different. So that's the passage we're going to be looking at today. We began last week looking at Second uh, Corinthians 8, and we looked at just the first seven verses, and today we're going to pick up um, where we left off. Um, where, where, we, where we did leave off, if you weren't here, you can always listen online, but basically Paul told them about something amazing that had happened in Macedonia, uh, and we don't know exactly what it was. Paul says they're very poor, but they're also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. And then he said, I can testify they not only gave, they, they, they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And, uh, some people say, well, maybe that just means that they were like the widow. They gave everything. Um, uh, but Paul says they gave far more than they could afford. So, so, uh, as I as I read the passage and I studied it, I wonder whether or not something really miraculous happened. Something like the the story of the the loaves and the fishes. They brought their piece, they brought the what they had. Um, they they made a sacrifice to God, um, and then God multiplied it somehow because Paul says it was it was amazing, and we know it must have been because the Corinthians kept the letter when the when the offering arrived, and they found out what it was. They kept the letter. And that makes me wonder just how amazing it was. So, so that's where we pick up the passage. And the, the question we would say is, so what's Paul going to ask them to do? How's Paul going to interpret this 
this stunning thing that has taken place in Macedonia. Um, what should they do? And maybe, maybe we might think that Paul's going to ask them to keep it going, right? You know, you've heard the stories about the person who goes to the, the Starbucks and he, he gets up to the front of the line and, and he makes his order and they say the person in front of you paid for it. And then there's the question, well, should I keep this going? Right? Should I pay for the person behind me? Right? Should, should I do, you know, you know, you, you hear these stories where it went on for two hours or whatever and you're thinking, I don't want to be the one who breaks the chain, you know, bad luck will happen or, or whatever. Um, and, and so is Paul asking them to keep this thing going? Is Paul saying, do like the Macedonians. This is going to be awesome. We're going to keep it going. Well, what's, what, what, what does Paul say? So let's go ahead and look at the passage. Well, the first thing we see, Paul doesn't tell them to do anything. He says, I'm not commanding you to do this. So he doesn't say, you guys do the same thing. He says, I'm not commanding you to do this. So why doesn't he, why doesn't he command them? And the reason is because Jesus set us free. That we are not required to do anything. Jesus freed us from sin, but Jesus also freed us from the law. Jesus fulfilled the law, and in place of those 613 commandments, Jesus gave us a new commandment. He said, I am now giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as you loved, uh, just as I have loved you, you should also love each other. So, so that's what the new commandment is. Those 613, the tithe, and all the, all the, the requirements, requirements are out the window. So now it's up to us to say, well, well, how did Jesus love us? And then Paul reminds them right away. Paul says, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. He says that's what, that's what Jesus is like. And if you're going to love like Jesus, then that's how you do it. You make yourself poor so that others can become rich. And we might say, well, you know, that's Jesus. Jesus is a special case. I'm not like Jesus. And Paul would say, actually, you're more like Jesus than you realize. Just a couple of, of pages ago, a couple, uh, or a couple of chapters ago, if you turn back a couple of pages to chapter 5, Paul says this. Paul says, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old you, the old life is gone. A new you, a new life has begun. He says, you are more like Jesus than you realize. And he says, now live into it. He says, you know the, you know the generous grace, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. So what is he saying? What does that actually translate to? What does he want? Well, he's kind of, he's not giving us the answer we want, because I think we naturally head back, we want to have that fee schedule. Um, because, because that's just kind of the way we are. That's certainly what we're used to. And Paul says, no, you're really different. You are a new creature. You remember, uh, if you were here last week, we talked about generosity with the asterisk. You know, everybody, everybody, uh, has generous impulses from time to time, right? We all like being generous when we can. The asterisk is, yeah, but I can't right now. I can't because, because of the circumstances of my life. I'm, I'm between jobs or I'm out of money or, or I've got this, this thing I'm wanting to buy and I'm saving up for it that we have an asterisk that keeps us from being generous. And what Paul is saying is you, you, yes, that's the old you that, that that's, that's what everybody's like, that God gives us the generous impulse. That's what God puts in everybody because God is an, is a generous God. We are made in the image of God. So he says that's what, 
That's what everybody's like. And everybody has the asterisk. But he says, Jesus has set us free from the asterisk. Jesus has said, we can be like him. We can be the kind of people who are new creations, the kind of people who can fulfill the commandment that Jesus gave us, the commandment to love one another. And you say, well, I don't feel like it. Well, you may not feel like it, but did, did you, you, you've ever experienced the feeling of generosity. <clears throat> if, if you've ever fin- felt the feeling of generosity, you know that that desire is there. And then you come up with reasons why you shouldn't be. Right? That's, that's very normal. That's the, the natural way. And Paul says that, that, that that's, that's what we don't have to, to do anymore. We don't have to, we don't have to, uh, not respond to that generous impulse. He says, we are new creatures. And we may say, well, I don't, I don't feel like a new creature, or it's not obvious to me that I'm a new creature. I don't feel compelled to be generous, right? Wouldn't I be compelled to be generous? And the answer is no. It is still, it, it is still a desire, but that's all it will ever be. God will never compel you to be generous. That, 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 he says, I am not commanding you. You are not commanded. You're not commanded by any external authority and you're not commanded internally. Uh, the way I think of it is that it's like, um, if you're at the airport, right? And you've, you've checked your bag or whatever you're doing and then you walk by on your way to TSA and you walk by the Cinnabon place and you can smell it and, and, and you smell that aroma, right? You, you, you have that, you have that desire. But most of the time, we don't act on it. And Paul's saying, that's what we're like. We're like somebody who has the desire, but we've always argued ourselves out of it. And he says, you don't have to do that anymore because you're a new creature. He says, but God will never force you to go to the Cinnabon. God will never compel you to be generous. C.S. Lewis says this. He says that merely to override a human will would for him, God, be useless he cannot ravish. He can only woo. He will not compel you. He's not going to ravish you. He's going to woo you. He's going to say, doesn't that smell good? Wouldn't you like to do that? He says, I love the smell. I love the sense, the, the, the moment when I, when I contemplate being generous, generous. I love that. But God will never treat you like a puppet. God will never force you to be, to be generous. He's going to entice you to be generous because he wants to be in a relationship with you. He wants you to be like him. He wants you to be generous as well, but he's not going to force you to be. So Paul says, what should we do then? He says, well, here's my advice. This is advice. FYI, you're asking me, Paul, uh, you know what the commandment is. The commandment is love one another, but you want my advice? Well, he says, it would be good for you. This is going to be good for you. What should be good for me? He says, to finish what you started a year ago. He says, a year ago, you smelled the Cinnabon. And now, go eat one. He says, you, you, the thought passed through your mind. You kind of said, that would be really good. I should do that. He says, now act on it. Finish what you started a year ago. Last year, you were the one who wanted to give. You were the first who wanted to give. Nobody said, hey, you must give. He says, and you were the first to begin doing it. Nobody made you start. But now he says, you should finish what you started. Not as a command, but as advice. He's saying, give in to that generous desire. He says, let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. 
A year ago, you you had the thought go through your mind. You started it. You you got out your wallet. But somehow a year has gone by and nothing has happened. So he says, do that. Finish it. He says, let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. He says, that's the goal. Is is that that desire you had then put yourself back in that same frame of mind and then act accordingly. He says, um, whatever you he says, given proportion to what you have, whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. The important thing is you put yourself back in that mindset, right? I'm going to open my wallet now and I'm going to give what's in it. I'm not going to give what's not in there. And then he repeats himself. He says, give according to what you have, not what you don't have. What does he mean by that? Well, I think most of the time, that's what keeps us from being generous. That's what makes it generosity with an asterisk. We we have things we could be generous with, but there's all kinds of things we don't have, right? I, I don't have I don't have a 4K TV. I don't have a 4K TV in each room. I don't have a, a, a sports car. I don't have a, a, a condo in in the south of France. I don't have. Uh, a private jet. There's all kinds of things I don't have. But Paul says is focus on what you do have. Give in proportion to what you do have. There's all kinds of things that we have. So why should I do that? Okay, why should I do that? I'm not required to. There's no, there's no mandate that I have to give anything. I don't have to yield to that, to that impulse to be generous. Why should I do it? Well, he said, <clears throat> but I am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches. He's saying, other people get this. You should too. You, you began it, but something has gone wrong. Somehow or another, you talked yourself out of it. And he says, he says, this is an opportunity for you to actually test your love, to test whether or not Jesus is turning you into a new person. Just a, just a couple of pages ago, back in chapter 5, Paul said, we live by believing and not seeing. That we are new creatures, but we don't see it. We don't, like, no one walks up to me every day and says, says, you are Jesus. And I say, I know, I feel that way. Um, you are just like Jesus, and you feel that way. And I say, yes, you know, I know, I, I feel just like Jesus. I always feel generous and loving and kind. We don't, we don't see it. He says, we walk by faith. We, we live by believing that God is actually at work in us, but we don't always see it. But he says, this is a place where we can see it. If we test our love, we can test and see that Jesus is at work in us. I mentioned that I kind of joined the, the small group reluctantly. I was committed to Sunday mornings. Okay, well, I'm going to do that. And then I was persuaded to go ahead and join, uh, uh to, to join a small group and give up a couple of evenings a, a month. And, um, and then on top of that was the service project. And, and that's really kind of the way I started the story, but I didn't tell you why, why I did the service project. I did the service project because I love the small group. What I found in the small group was that there was a community of people who encouraged me to practice my faith, who, who, uh, who helped me become a better person. And I didn't realize it at the time, but when we, when we did the small, uh, when we did the service group, when, when my small group did the service project, Rich, um, somehow hooked us up with, uh, with uh, this, uh, old lady who had a broken down house and we painted her house. 
And I don't know what, you know, I don't know how they got connected, but, but somehow or other, the bunch of us went down there and we painted her house. And it was, it was a, it was a mess. It was a very beat up, uh, you know, paint, paint all chipped off and you could see the wood through it. And so we painted it. And I have to tell you, I'm not a good house painter. Um, I was the weak link in the whole group, but I did, I did something. And I remember I, I, it was late in the afternoon. We, we knocked off about an hour later, but, but it was like uh, late in the day. I, Kind of stood back, and and I looked at the little section that I'd, I'd been painting. This one little section, and I looked at it because I was done with it, and I was going to study it to make sure I'd done it. And when I stood back, what I studied was myself. I looked at myself, and I said, "Who are you?" Because I knew me, and I knew the old me wouldn't have been there that day. That something was changing inside me. I was becoming a different person. What Paul said is true, that it is by giving of yourself, giving of your time, giving of your money, that you actually learn something about yourself. So he gave the advice, do this. And I've always found it to be good advice. I have rarely had the eagerness that, that, um, that, that Paul envisions, but I've never regretted doing it. The, the eagerness that I've had, I've, I've used. And I've, I've pushed in to this promise to the greatest extent that I can. And again, that just, in my mind, that just shows me how much more, more work Jesus has to do in me. And I know that I'm not alone in that feeling. Paul said this, he said, not that I've already attained all this, he has not already become just like Jesus. He's not already arrived at my goal. But I press on to take hold of that for which Jesus Christ took hold of me. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Jesus Christ. He says, that's what I'm doing, right? I've seen enough. I believe. And once in a while I get a glimpse. And that's why I keep running. It's why I keep doing this. And it's why you should keep being generous. Because it is the place where you realize what God is doing. And so when you get the stewardship letter, when you get the call from the, the, the nominating committee, when somebody up here in the front of the church stands up and says, hey, uh, there's this great volunteer opportunity, those are places to lean in because they are places where you can see what it is that God is doing in you. And the question then is not how much, but how much do you love? How much has God turned you into a person who loves? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that that Jesus is uh, changing us into different people, that he's reconnected us to you, and, and your life and your power flows in us. And we are in Christ new creatures. And that as we as we lean into that promise, as we as we practice what Jesus taught, we can see what new creatures you are making us. And so, Lord, we pray you would give us the, the courage to practice generosity without an asterisk, to actually put into practice the things that Jesus and, and Paul teach us. We pray these things in Christ's holy name. Amen.